Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Well, welcome back to our series called The Irresistible Church. If you have not been here before, that is a series that I started last week. And what we're looking at specifically is what was so irresistible about the early church? Why is it and how was it that the church grew in the way that it did, not just numerically, but also spiritually? And what were all the other intangibles that were going on in that moment? Yesterday, we had a great, great day, didn't we? Those of us who participated, just like my bride had said, Missions for Table was a success. So if you served yesterday, I just want to say thank you. All of the ministry team served yesterday, and most of the leadership team served yesterday. So you're being led by servants of Christ. And I think we, that is just an amazing thing. And I think it's something that all of us should participate in in September if we have another opportunity to do so. I do want to address this, though, and I want to say this to Steve, but everybody gets to listen. Steve was concerned yesterday because he said, I know you usually only work one day a week, and yesterday I worked. So he's like, how are you going to do today? I don't know, Steve. You let me know by the end of the day today how well I'm going to do. Um, and you are so concerned about that, Steve, so I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, we'll see. Contrary to popular belief, I work more than one day a week, but, um, you know. Just to clear up any confusion there, I think we're doing okay. So I want to begin today with, with this. Last week we talked about the idea that the thing that drew the early church was this irresistible love. And, and we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But the, it was this idea that they were so loved by God in a vertical relationship that that love then permeated horizontally out to other people. And it was contagious in its own way. And we talked about this idea of of a God-centric love that flows through us, not loving people the way that they ought to be loved, or not loving people the way that that we love them, that we should love them, but instead loving people the way that Jesus loved us. That is the compelling message here. So the the title was Irresistible Love, and I said, and some of you are like maybe let down that that, that Michael Bolton wasn't going to roll in with his like long his long locks, you know, it was some 80s ballad. This was literally a sermon. You can watch it online. It existed. And now we're going to talk about moving beyond Michael Bolton, if you can, mentally. I don't even know. But if you can, we're going to talk about an irresistible mission. I want to first talk about a mission uh, that happened, I believe it was July 20th, 1969. July 20th, 1969. Who knows what happened July 20th, 1969? Anyone? What was it? Yeah, they went to the moon, and then they did what, Joe? They walked on the moon, right? So they had gone to the moon, and then they walked on the moon. This, that mission was something that they had prepared for for years and years and years, and it culminated on three individuals going to the moon, and it was a, it was a mission that was set from the past, but yet it has shaped the future. It really had. It has shaped the future. Even now, it has an impact on all of us, and even the people who are dreaming and people who are sending others into space right now. It's because this idea that was launched on this mission, that day in history, when Neil Armstrong and and Buzz and Michael, whatever his name is, sorry, Michael, whatever your name is, but those three people, they were on the Apollo 11th, and then the, the first two to step out was Neil Armstrong and then later Buzz Aldrin. When they did that, they set in a realm of possibility. 
What I want to talk about today is something so much more compelling for that because what they did, what Neil Armstrong, when he stepped foot on the moon, it set form a realm of possibility. But I want to talk about and I want to share with you from the word of God something that has the ability to change destiny. Not just possibility for mankind, but destiny for eternity. This is what this series is all about. It's all about Jesus. And this is all about really this irresistible church, the idea of of God bringing people together and him sending them on a mission. And that mission has not stopped. It has not stopped. The mission is alive. It began with this. It began with this idea that that John would talk about later in his life after the the death, burial, and resurrection as he's reflecting and recalling Jesus' life and what he had seen. In 1 John 3.16, he said this, And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This compelling idea of an irresistible love, a love that would draw people in, a care that would draw people in, a compassion that would draw people in, a way of of just a love that's others first, that would just draw people in. It was this church being a community of believers built on love. The Apostle Paul, he would talk about this this certain type of love that I think is irresistible in its own way. When I've been studying this and looking over this all week long, and it just gives me goosebumps. Even this morning just kind of gave me goosebumps reading this. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 35 and 39. He said this, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we will face death all day long. We will be considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a love that draws you in. This is a love that is so compelling that that's not just fleeting in a moment, but this is what draws us in for a lifetime. This is the love that is irresistible, and this is the same basis of which Jesus sent his early disciples, and he's sending us still on an irresistible mission. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're, they're living their life without a purpose. And I realize that word purpose just gets thrown away. Just really, it's a throwaway word that doesn't really mean a lot. But, the, but challenging that with this truth, Jesus Christ has set every one of his followers on a mission to bring the world to himself. Set in motion thousands of years ago, and it is still going on today. We're going to recall in the scriptures how this started and where this started. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking this Very compelling idea and these irresistible factors that shaped the early church that that drew people in and that still draw us in and still sends us out in Jesus' name. I invite you to go into your Bible and to Acts 1. We're going to look at a few verses in Acts 1 and a lot of, 
of the context you're going to pick up because Luke writes this historical account. And as he's writing this historical account, there's some fascinating things to me. Luke, he became like a church historian because he's writing this letter and also he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And we're not really sure who all he had intended to write this to. We just know it was inspired by God. The Holy Spirit of God wanted him to write and shape these two letters. Some people believe that, that Luke and Acts were actually, that they were one volume, and somewhere through time they were separated. We don't know that that's true or not, but, but we do know that, that Luke was the author of both. And we know that there was this guy by the name of Theophilus, and his name means lover of God or loved by God, and it can also be rendered out friend of God. And Theophilus was the original recipient. And we're not sure if Luke is writing to Theophilus, trying to let him know, hey, these things were real, that Christianity is real, Jesus is real, the death, burial, and resurrection, it is real. Everything that he said was real. Jesus is the Messiah. It's like, come and see. So we don't know exactly if it was just for Theophilus. We know that his name is mentioned in both Luke and Acts. But also there's something there that we know that he wasn't the only audience. He may have been the, the primary audience at the time, but also all of us are now the, the ones who are receiving this in a way, and the way that it's written is a way to help us to understand that, that if you are in Christ, that your faith is founded upon Jesus. It's not founded upon myth or fable. It's true. It's factual. And he'll address some of these things in Acts 1. So let's read this together, starting in Acts 1, reading through verse 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus came to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The three ideas that we're going to rally around, and if you are taking notes, you can uh, actually catch one of those right in the passage in Acts 3. It says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs. Convincing proofs is the first fill in the blank on your info card. He gave many convincing proofs. Of the convincing proofs, he mentions some here. That he showed himself to the men who were around him. He also appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This wasn't a moment, just a moment. This was a period of 40 days. He spoke to them. He ate with them. He was with them for a period of 40 days. And we could also spend a lot of time going into 1 Corinthians 15. 
and where the Apostle Paul lines out even more convincing proofs. But these proofs are absolutely there. Why is it that Luke would be telling Theophilus and us today in our contemporary culture, why would he then be going through and talking about these convincing proofs? I have a hunch. I think the reason why is because what Luke would write about is he knew that there was a potential for Theophilus or people like us to lose focus. He knew that there was, there was a, a great potential for us to simply come to church instead of realizing that we are the church. I believe that he would write in such a way and give these convincing proofs because later on in the days to come, people would come with other themes and schemes and stories who are then countering the resurrection and they're countering the life of Jesus and they would say that Jesus was not God, that Jesus was just a good man. But Jesus Christ was the God-man. Amen? See, I believe that, that he knew that there was a potential for all of us to lose focus. An illustration will help. I don't know if you realized it or not, but this week it's going to be like a million degrees here. Have you guys seen that? Wear some sunscreen if you're going to be outside. Or, I got another idea, don't go outside. There's one. It's going to be really hot. It's sunburn season right now. The sun, here's the illustration, the sun is a powerful source of energy. Every hour the sun washes the earth with billions of watts, billions of watts, of kilowatts of energy. And yet you can wear sunscreen or you, wear, you can wear a hat and not be affected by the sun. Most of us. Some of us are light-skinned, you might be. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. You can judge that. But... We can look at the sun and say, well, something so powerful because it's spread out so thin, it can be, the, the effects of the sun on our skin can be nullified by simply wearing long sleeves, if you want to sweat it out, wearing sunscreen or wearing a hat to keep the sun off of your eyes. However, there's something to, to contrast that with, a laser. A laser is something that actually has a weak source of energy compared to the sun, for sure. And it only takes a few watts of energy but what it does, it focuses them into such a coherent stream of light that it would be dangerous for you to stare at. And it is something that when you put just that little bit of, of energy, but yet you focus it so tight, it can be so powerful that it would cut a diamond. The church, in a similar way, we can... We can lose focus, and then we can just start trying to do everything and just think we need to be everywhere, we need to be doing everything, and if we just do everything, then we're going to be fine. But what it does is in that our heart may be right, but we may lose effectiveness because we spread ourselves out so, so thin. We're going to focus today. We're, we're going to take a laser-like approach to see what it is that God has for you and what it is that God has for me and how that is going to impact the world around us. But he began with these convincing proofs as a way, I believe, to help them and to help us to know, hey, your faith is real. This is the foundation of it all. 
So we started with convincing proofs. The second, and we'll pick this up in verse 4 through 7, you see that there's a commissioning promise. They all begin with C. I'm a Baptist at heart, you can tell. Verse 4 says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? There's still some confusion. Jesus' promise was strengthened by the reminder of the testimony of John the Baptist. That's what he's tying in here. Jesus is tying into some of the storyline that he, that, that Jesus and John the Baptist dialogue they had and also what the ministry of John the Baptist because the ministry of John the Baptist was to make a way for Jesus. So now he's bringing in this idea that, that John had all talked about years before. Here's some passages to, to add to this. Matthew 3.11 says this, I will baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, John says... One will come more powerful than I, whose sandals I cannot, excuse me, that I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark 1.8, I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Different accounts of what John the Baptist said. I will baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The throngs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke 3.16. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, Jesus said, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Luke 24 nine, uh, excuse me, 49. And John 1.33. I would not have known him except that the one who would send me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you will see the Spirit come down and remain is he will be who or excuse me, is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And later it was told in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were given the one spirit to drink that the Apostle Paul would write to, to the church who was coming apart at the seams to remind them, hey, we were actually all together in this thing. That we were all united in this thing. That all believers for all time are united in the mission of God by the Spirit of God. That we're all tied together. Oh, church, I wish we would have gotten this right years ago when people left our fellowship because of, just because of piddly arguments. I wish people would have known this when years ago people left our fellowship or we, we allowed people to leave our fellowship without simply knocking on their door to say, hey, I love you. Is there anything we can do to make this better? You see, I think if we're going to bring this city and bring our community to Jesus Christ, we have to get it right first in this house before we start expecting other people to get it right. And we have to understand that we have all have this Holy Spirit bringing us together. Therefore, we have everything we need to do the work of the gospel. We already have it. 
We just simply need to utilize the power that we've been given. But I wonder how things would be different. But that's the past. Let's dream about how things are going to be different in the future. Let's dream about when we do take this message seriously. Let's dream about when we do understand that we're all on mission. And that it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. If you are in Christ, you are on mission. That you, have, you and I have all been sent. The people who are sent are not the ones who get paychecks by the church to actually be here to have the title of pastor or some sort of, of role here in the church. We are all in this together. I'm doing more, my part and you are to do your part. We're still living out this same message today. It always amazes me that ordinary people can do extraordinary things because the Holy Spirit is at work within them. It is always amazing to me that ordinary people like me can do extraordinary things because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in them. You see, I don't know about you, but I still, I still kind of think that I'm just that kid from Colton, Illinois. Not even a not even a group large enough to be a city. We're still a village in Colton. Like I think to myself in that way, I'm very ordinary. It doesn't matter of the degrees that I have or the experience that I have in doing ministry. To me, I, I, I think to myself as just being an ordinary guy, but yet whenever I, I realize that I've been so impacted by the love of God and I realize the mission that he has for me, what it does, it elevates my purpose and it elevates my mission day by day. So everything I do and every conversation I have has an, is an opportunity for God to do something extraordinary. But I'm just an ordinary guy, but what I have is something that's extraordinary within me. And if you're in Christ, you have something extraordinary in you too, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. That you have part of the Trinity living within you, empowering you to do the work of God. Just ordinary folk. Who in here is just ordinary like me? Pretty much all of us. Got some extraordinary people in here. We'll talk later. I don't know. Pretty much all ordinary. I believe this is true. The greatest possible impact you can make is by partnering with God and his mission. To save souls and to shape creation. That is the most impactful and it is the greatest possible impact you can make on the world today. Notice it doesn't say how much money you can make. Notice it doesn't matter of how many acres that you can purchase. It doesn't, it doesn't take, in, or it does take into, this, into account, but it doesn't mean that, that you are some significant figure in the community. It's bringing who you are and how God has made you into this partnership with him as he sends you out on mission to save souls and to shape his creation. That is the most impactful and the greatest possible impact you can make on the world. So instead, maybe we need to 
to reposition our thoughts. Maybe we need to reposition our future instead of what's going to set us up to make X amount of money, but instead, what can I do to make the greatest impact? Instead of positioning ourselves to say, how can I be set up so financially that I can retire early? Instead, how can, maybe it's a better question to say, God, how can I partner with you on your mission to save souls and shape creation, even if that means I have to work a little longer? Or God, in my retirement, let my retirement not be about me. Let me instead stop doing work so I can gain money and maybe use those resources that I've gained over time to then actually to go out and do full-time gospel work. To where you're not distracted by just simply making money to make a living. Instead, maybe you position yourself in retirement to say, now I'm going to spend the rest of my, my life not on me, Jesus, but for you. If you want to make a difference in the world, that's where it starts. It starts right here in our mind. Instead of asking asking ourselves, how can we do all these things for ourselves? But instead, Jesus, position me to live a life that's impactful for you. Help me to have the courage to to know the right words, to, to maybe be used to save a soul. Just the words. It's the Spirit of God that saves, but but he uses people and words. And saying, well, God, I'm going to work and I'm going to spend much of my life at work. But God, how can I do work that actually benefits the world around me? How can I do work that actually shapes the creation around me? How can we do this, Jesus? If you position yourself in such a way where you ask Jesus those questions with an honesty and with integrity... He is going to put you in a place to be used and wrung out for the glory of God and the good of this world. And that way, your story, your impact, your legacy never ends with you. It's simply passed on to someone else. Jesus gave us all the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Stay. Is that what it says? No, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The, the last thing you write down in your info cards here, last fill in the blank anyway, the main point is the commander's purpose. The commander's purpose. Notice in Acts 1.8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These weren't just words that Jesus used, These, this was actually a strategy that Jesus was employing. Because notice, the events, the main events of the early church happened in Jerusalem, and he's talking about them being witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, which we'll read about and talk about next week. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, expanding out Judea, Expanding out Samaria, expanding out further to the ends of the earth. We are living in fulfillment of this truth. 
we are to the ends of the earth. The reason why we gather here today is because people took this seriously. Because people knew that they were witnesses of Jesus Christ. Notice, a witness, if you are to be on a witness stand, I can't imagine how nerve-wracking that would be. I've never had to do it myself. But if you're a witness on a witness stand, you, they don't allow you to just go up and just give opinion, do they? And just go on and on and on and on and on. They're going to stop you. They don't really care about your opinion. They care about facts. They want to know what are, what are the facts of the case. You can talk about your opinions later, but what are the facts? Luke is sharing to Theophilus and to us the facts of what is happening with the early church, of how the, the, the facts of this strategy that Jesus was allowing the, the apostles and us to, to employ, the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that now he's setting forth a model of which reaching the world, reaching the nations. And he does it in such a way that they were to be witnesses. That they were witnesses. So that everywhere they would go, they would bear witness to what Jesus did and to who Jesus is. We are still doing the same thing today. We are still bearing witness, whether good witness or not so good witness, about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. We're simply witnesses. And yet, here's what I know to be true also. Sometimes we can be disordered in our lives. We can kind of get lost in our own, in our world. I can get lost in my own world. I can get lost in my own head for that matter. We can get lost in so many things and we can just become disordered. We can become like that junk drawer that's in your kitchen. Don't judge. You have one. And you started out, probably when you lived there, with such good intentions that this time we're not going to have maybe a junk drawer. It's going to be organized, and, and we're kind of in that boat right now. We, we don't really have a junk drawer. Talk to me in a couple years. It's, gonna, it's forming. But I will tell you this. this. The things that I have here are from junk drawers of the past. So we have a long history of having junk drawers is what I'm saying. We're in a new house, but we've had junk drawers. And, and the thing about a junk drawer is you don't really want to throw it away because, you know, although it's a junk drawer, it's not necessarily you don't think there's junk in the drawer. I'll let you judge here in just a moment as to what's here, uh, if you think it's junk or not. But here's the thing. It's like you, we kept it, and then we just didn't know what to do with it, so we dumped it into a, into a container, and then we just moved into a different house. We didn't throw away the container. We just moved into a different house, created a different junk drawer, and then dumped it in, into a container. And then we've moved a few times, so we've got some stuff. And so I took them out of this, this said container and then put them in here. I, I want to start out with this. We, uh, we have nothing to play this on, by the way. I just want you to know. This, uh, this, this cassette is from 1991. True story. Copyright 1991. We have nothing. If you want this, you can play that later. It's not Christian music. I wasn't a Christian. Don't judge, okay? It's just, it's true. There were some common things, some uh, glue sticks, that kind of stuff that you'd see, some handy things. Um, 
I don't even know that we've ever had a house that didn't have three, three-pronged receptacles, but in case you have a, 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 if you need this thing, come and talk to me after. I'll give this to you. Also found a whole lot of these. This, these are not Marlis. Don't judge. I don't know. I think they're knee-highs. I'm not really sure. Are these knee-highs? Is that what these are? Yeah, 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 they are. Um, there was a bunch of these. Now, I, in, in our defense, again, these are not Marlis. Marla has no idea what's in this box, so this is scary for me. I want you to know that not only did I find uh, one of those, also I found, I found a lot of these, actually, the same things. And, and to our defense, I was a children's pastor for five years, and then Marla has been a school teacher for over 25 years. So, so I don't know what these are, but these are, if you need some knee highs, I got matching sets right here, two of them for you, unopened, haven't seen them. I don't know, something to think about. Uh, there's these things, we don't even use these anymore, and I don't even know if you can get those bulbs anymore, but if you can, take it. If anyone has a fever... I can help you out. I'm, I'm sure this worked. Past tense, it worked. This is from a vacuum cleaner we haven't had in uh, 10, 20 years. But uh, just in case you want another relic, this is Sony Walkman. We've got this too. Um, that's hanging out. And uh, no headphones. And another tape. Ooh, there you go. Some motivational Christian music. We'll just dig into that. Good stuff. Point is, I know you're not judging me because you have a junk drawer too thing about the church is this. The church can kind of be like a junk drawer after a while. It can. It can kind of be a junk, like a junk drawer. It's like we go through and we do a lot of things and then we stuff a lot of stuff into it and we put a lot of stuff into it. And it, it can easily get disordered over time. I'll summarize it and tell you in this way. Good churches filled with good people can get disordered over time. Good churches filled with good people can get disordered over time. We can lose focus. We can stop realizing and and accepting the fact that we are all witnesses as to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and we have a responsibility to tell others about him. We're all in this together. Acts 1.8 is a a verse that has impacted me for a long, long time. And it's one that's so common, and it's always on the tip of my tongue, but it's it's always on the forefront of my mind. There's something about this. And one of the things that has materialized recently is this. All of us have a mission to accomplish and also believe that God has a vision for us to live that out. The vision for Calvary Baptist Church is this, that we are to be a church that exists for God and for God's glory, exists by Jesus and for Jesus. And we exist for our city that we bring help and hope to the broken. And we exist for the nations that we give and we go to the nations to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. This was all inspired by Acts 1.8. 
that we are to be a church, which means that, that our lives are to be ordered around the principles in this book. That no matter what goes on culturally, that our lives are supposed to be led and directed by the truths in this book and the Spirit of God in us. This is irresistible. That we exist not only for our own selves, we we exist not to expand the building, we we exist not to build on, on the property that we've already purchased. We don't exist for all those things. We exist for God's glory and for the for the good of our world. And the way that we walk that out is we become a church that is so vibrant, so alive so alive to the Word of God and the Spirit of God that it becomes irresistible all around us simply because we're doing what it is that God wants us to do. And then as we live these principles out that Jesus Christ Himself sends us out with the Holy Spirit of God into our city to shape our city, to shape it socially, to shape it, to shape it spiritually, to shape it politically, that He sends us out to bring good into our city, all because we are a church and the church, the church that Jesus died for, has always been about sending outside of the building and shaping the community around it because what did, what did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we're a, we're a church founded upon Jesus, by Jesus. We live for Jesus. We're not to expand our little kingdom. We're trying to expand the kingdom of God. Which means every day when we go to work or you go to school that you are bearing witness. There's a ripple effect of this truth. That as you bear witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in your life and the lives of others in the truth of the gospel, you then bear that witness in the city that you live in. You bring those truths and you bring that hope into the relationships around you. This is an irresistible mission founded upon irresistible love. And then we continue to the, to the ends of the earth, reaching more and more people through giving and through going because we're also a church that exists for the nations. Why? Because this is what Jesus sent us to do. This isn't my idea. This is Jesus' idea. He's the one who said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm gonna give you some good news. The mission of God is wide enough to engage non-believing seekers, even recent converts, enthusiastic young Christians, believers with questions, active kingdom builders, people are doing it now, and wiser, older Christians.
The mission of God is that wide. And it's growing wider and wider and wider as we bear witness to Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for inviting us into this mission. Jesus, with you and with the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father, this mission is irresistible because we're joining you in what you're already doing. So Jesus, I thank you for inviting us in and just being ordinary people. People who aren't very smart, maybe not even as talented as we would like to be. Maybe some people are incredibly smart. You engage us in moments like this, if we, even in these moments where maybe we think that we're outside of our prime, like we're, that the mission of God is for somebody else, you meet us in moments like this. And yet it's so vast that you also meet us in these moments for, for somebody who thinks, well, I just became a Christian. I really don't know enough to do anything. And yet you invite all of us in. Jesus, show us in the many ways how we're to be a church for you. Show us in the many ways that we're to be a church for the city. Show us in many ways how we're to be a church for the nations. Show us how to be people of love. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify your holy name.